The biggest hurdle between me and eating healthy, delicious meals for lunch is decision fatigue. Honestly, by the time lunchtime rolls around, I've already made like a thousand decisions from what my toddler should wear to how much I want to argue with her about how you have to brush your teeth in the morning, you know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, I absolutely agree. And like I have taken to doing meal preps or like buying a bunch of ready to eat meals to like heat up quickly. And I recently tried Factor. And let me tell you, Factor is like 12,000 steps above and beyond any ready to meet eat meal I have ever tried before. That's right. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef curated, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started and get after your goals. I tried the two-minute meals where I could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. And they also offer pancakes, smoothies, and more. There's a wide variety of easy options throughout the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Plus, there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup required. Factor is also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution when you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And you don't want to make any more decisions because you're exhausted, like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 and use code justbreakup50 to get 50% off. That's code justbreakup50 at factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 to get 50% off. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like parental judgment, uh, the wide world of grief, and fear of having missed out. But mm. before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning. Uh, and maybe like a content warning as well. Uh, Sierra and I are not licensed mental health pr practitioners. And this episode is going to be all about parents. So if you are in a place <laughs> where you don't want to listen to people's letters about their parents, like this is not your episode like this. And that is OK. Yeah. We're not yeah. offended if you're yeah. like it could be your episode like in a couple of weeks or a couple of years <laughs> yeah, from right. now, you know, like. It's funny of all the content we do. We try to give like content warnings, but I love that we both were like, man, an episode about parents is a lot. <laughs> like this is the one that we're going to preface first. You know? yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, this is all to say we are not professionals. We are not mental health um, therapists or counselors or any sort of accredited people. So please take the following episode as you see fit or don't take it at all. Sam and I are just here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding, but mostly confusing experience that is love. Mm. All right. So this week's check-in topic is not about parents. <laughs> yeah. So give you a brief, <laughs> a brief uh, break from that. Um, so we re we were asked recently to check in about red flags and um, like 
what the difference between a red flag and a deal breaker was. And it really made me start to think about a, how much like you and I have changed in our philosophies since we started this podcast and B about red flags as like a, as they're they're functioning in our society right now, I see so much content online about like, you know, thirty red flags so you can immediately leave your boyfriend or um, <laughs> yellow flags, green flags. You know, um, right. they've really become a part of our, I don't know, cultural narrative about dating. And while I am here for that, mm-hmm. because I think that we, we often don't empower ourselves to like. I don't know, reject people or to say like, you're not for me. You know, I I wasn't taught to say like, no, thank you. (laughs) That's a red flag (laughs) as a young woman. And like, I love that we are teaching folks about stuff like this, or like, I guess teaching folks about trusting their intuition. Mm. I also think that the conversation, like everything on Instagram lacks nuance. Um, And, you know, I'm sure there are times that your and I's commentary about, um, Instagram, excuse me, about red flags, it lacked nuance too, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think that red flags can be incredibly personal. They can Mm. be incredibly subjective to your own experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought we could just have a general conversation about red red flags because I don't think we have in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, when I was younger, I, I thought red flags or I found them very helpful because I was really trying to understand like where my preferences and boundaries were and like how I was going to allow people to treat me. And that can be super helpful to figure out, to say like, Oh, I deserve somebody who texts me back or like, I uh, really don't like it when somebody argues with me when they're drunk or whatever it is to like help figure out like, okay, these are, the the firm edges of what's acceptable behavior and like I spent a lot of time not knowing those edges because I was somebody who was new to relationships and like it's really understandable that I didn't know what those edges were um and so having friends or other people be like oh here are some things that are really like no's for me was like really helpful to be like okay well maybe those are no's for me too right but I do think that there is some not necessarily wiggle room, but there's like nuance in, in sort of our understanding of red flags. And I, and I, I'm never really a fan of like, these are hard and fast rules that apply to everyone. To be clear, like Sierra and I are not talking about like abusive red flags here, right? Like, like things around like, yeah, let's let's name some of them. Like abusive Um, behavior around like controlling who you can be around and how you can be around those people, like looking at your phone and like asking you like inappropriate questions about who you're texting or isolating you. Right. Yeah. Um, like controlling your finances, um, not allowing you to spend the money in the way that, that is important to you. Um, telling you that your fam they're you know your family's all out to get you to and it's just you against the world like these are things where it's like no those are indications of like controlling abusive behavior and like there's lots of websites available to look through some of those things and like I firmly ascribe to all of them <laughs> right like that's yeah, not the yeah, yeah. that's not the wiggle you tell room me we're talking that about your, your partner is isolating you I will confidently say red flag <laughs> yeah absolutely I would be like that's a deal breaker so like how are we gonna how are we gonna get you out of this situation in a way that that feels right but you know, there are red flags that like are present in 
that some folks would think are red flags in Peter and my relationship, right? Like the fact mm-hmm. that that we both have on location devices for each other might be right. a red flag for other people. But for us, it works because it means that like when he's like, hey, I'm on my way home and then he's not there for 20 minutes, I can calm my anxiety by being like, oh, he stopped at Target. Great. Good to know. Yes, <laughs> you know what I yes, mean? Like, yes, yes, uh, yes. But that could be a he's huge red flag. Section. Yes, absolutely. Of course. But that could be a huge red flag in a different situation in a different relationship. So it's like it's right. contextual and nuanced and in a lot of different ways, in ways that like, I don't think I appreciated when we started this podcast, even like four years ago. I totally agree. Yeah. And I think that I guess the purpose of this check-in topic is just to continue what I referenced earlier, like teaching people that it's okay to, to, to form those edges in relationships, you know, to, to have those boundaries, to vocalize like, "Mm, Nope, this I've been down this path or this doesn't feel right to me. Um, Just like allow folks to lean into that even more, lean into listening to their intuition. Red flags can be 100 percent subjective to you and based off of your experience and your intuition. I think, you know, if you don't if if, for example, somebody is like rude to wait staff I was always like that's a red flag and mm-hmm. it is to me it is I, sure. I like don't want to be with somebody who is like rude to wait staff but also like were they rude to wait staff because they I don't know had a bad day or like yeah, they're they were on never, they never, <laughs> I'm currently on yeah, prednisone which is why this, I'm thinking of this he's an emotional teenager <laughs> for sure yeah I'm lashing out I don't um, have emotional regulation in this episode <laughs> I shouldn't say teenager. I should say toddler. <laughs> yes. Not that you're a toddler. I'm saying like when I think about like emotional regulation, I think about toddlers. Um, anyway, uh, you know, or they were having a bad day or that or whatever. I'm not trying to make excuses for somebody who's rude to wave staff. I, I literally hate that. But also I'm wondering, I think we look to Instagram and Insta psychologists and you know, honest to God, like content like ours. <laughs> yeah. Literally content like ours to look for hard and fast rules about human intimacy and human engagement. And that's okay. Like you said, like that often guides us. It teaches us, it gives us a language to lean back on. And also sometimes it fails us in terms of really encapsulating the nuance of humanity. Um, you know, a red flag for one person could just be a manifestation of your true incompatibilities with this other person. And that's enough. That's enough red flag for you. Like, oh, he can't talk about his feelings. Red flag. Sure. Or it's childhood trauma or, you know, it's his it's not his love language or whatever other weird pseudoscience we spew on this podcast, <laughs> which I totally subscribe to. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think we use red flags a lot as a way to like protect ourselves, but then it also becomes kind of blamey too, right? Like this idea of like, oh, you should have seen that red flag or like, oh, I saw these red flags and I didn't do anything, Um, which is like, yeah, okay, cool. We have the capacity to, you know, to do something different, like to learn and be like, okay, well, if I see that again, that's going to be something that I'm more aware of. But I think it is this idea of like, we can somehow protect our hearts by knowing all the red flags so that we can see them and then we'll like just 
always say no if we if we see them. And like that's not actually going to happen because our hearts are yeah. so infinitely able to be to be hurt in so many different ways. And like we might be really missing out on something uh, where we could have had a conversation or we could have figured out what it meant for us to have some sort of boundary in a relationship with each other. Right. Like I'm thinking about that letter. I think we got sent like last week or the week before with the person who like came over drunk at 3 AM and being like, Oh, this is a huge red flag. Yeah. Like, cool. If it is great, that's fantastic. And it doesn't have to be like firmly fixed in like the list yeah. of like awful red flags. It can be like, Oh, we just had a miscommunication around like how we, how we interact with each other at three in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. and yeah. that's, that's really one of the things that I think that I've come to understand from doing this podcast partially and seeing so much more of the infinite different types of experience that people have in relationships with each other and recognizing that like my red flag might be someone else's like, meh, that's fine. We'll figure it out. We'll totally. talk about it. We'll make it happen. Uh, whereas I would be like, absolutely do not do that with that person. Um, like love bombing is a great example. Like yes. some folks really respond well to like really intense relationships in the beginning. And like, for me, that was like always a no. I was like, if it's too intense in the beginning, that means it's going to fizzle out. But like, we get letters from folks who are like, we met in a whirlwind romance and it's working really well. But anyway, I need to talk about my mom. And it's like, yes, totally. <laughs> and it's oh like, God, okay, so cool. That's so great that it's, that it's working yeah. for you. Four years ago when we started this podcast, I would have been like, mm -mm, shut it down. Deal breaker. It's too intense. Too shut fast. it down. Don't want to talk about your mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know what like adds to the nuance too is that like the panicked podcast host in the back that lives in the back of my head is like oh my god but are are sam and i teaching folks to not listen to red flags you know i meaning there's never enough nuance there's never enough enough um diversity or time to talk about the diversity of human experience for sure um and yeah um I think my red flags would be firmer in the real life. Like if I were dating now, I think I would try to like listen a little bit better to my intuition, which is what I couldn't do when I was younger. Um, but on this podcast, as we talk about other people's relationships, I think I'm a little bit more open hearted um, to, to what's going on on the other end. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think you would be your red flags? Like, how would you relate to red flags if you were dating now? I think I would be a lot less contextual about them. Like, I think I would be a yeah. lot less. Nuanced. I'd be way more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pendulum swing. <laughs> I think just because it is it's really different to to sit in front of two microphones and and talk abstractly about relationships yes. and red flags than it is to, like, be in the weeds of dating um and like having to scroll through tinder and like see all sorts of different things and having all these options available to you um and like i do think that like uh there are a lot of jerks out there <laughs> like yeah like just like totally. honest to god jerks out there that um it, i might be one of them <laughs> yeah right like that i that i don't encounter as often because i'm not yeah. On yeah, dating totally. apps. So like, it's easier for me to be like, oh, people are trying when it's like, I'm not being confronted by, yeah. by assholes on Tinder or yeah. Scruff or wherever it is that folks are meeting people. 
I guess the biggest, our biggest takeaway today um, from your queer aunt and uncle is like, you know, red flags are yours. They're, they're mm-hmm. subjective to your intuition, to your experience and to your reading of this thing. And they, and they can ebb and flow and they can be malleable like boundaries are, or they can be as firm as you want them to be as boundaries can be. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Cool. Uh, Before we get into our letters, I just want to apologize to the folks at home who are listening to our episode while watching it on YouTube. If y'all don't know, we are now offering our full episodes, videos of them on YouTube. If you you can find us at Just Break Up Podcast, YouTube, something, something. Um, (laughs) And you can subscribe. (laughs) Um, But I'm wearing um, Spencer, a.k.a. Big Cat, sent me his pair of, what are these called? AirPods. Mm Mm-hmm because they didn't fit his tiny ears, but they're actually too, my my ears are too cavernous and elfish and they keep falling <laughs> out of my head. So like it's the pendulum swing of ear size in the Just Breakup world. Um, so if I'm constantly fucking with my headphones, that's why. That's great. So if you want to, if you want to watch me fuck with my headphones and see what Sam and I look like, check out our full episodes on YouTube. Yeah, please do. <laughs> I guess I just have like Goldilocks ears where my ears are perfectly designed just for perfect. <laughs> and they're filled with porridge. Yeah, honestly, is yes. where I went that <laughs> I do produce more earwax than the average oh person. <laughs> oh God. Okay, here we go. First letter uh, is from stressed and in love whose pronouns are she, her, and who is writing to us from the USA. Hello, you lovely people. As everyone says, I love listening to the podcast and greatly appreciate the thoughtfulness and effort you put into your responses. I'm not sure if you discussed this in specific issue on your podcast, and I'd love to hear your advice. I'm a 30-year-old heterosexual woman, she, her, in a relationship with a 29-year-old heterosexual man, he, him. We've been together for about 2.5 years and got engaged in January. Woohoo! He's lovely and kind, and I adore him. We bring out the best in each other, and I can't wait to get married and continue our life together. So here's the issue. I'm a social worker, and he's a nonprofit lawyer. Because of life and various things, we have debt, a lot of debt. We have a plan to pay it off and both work hard to live within our means as much as we can. However, rent is expensive and life happens. We will not be able to reasonably pay it off any time in the nearish future, unfortunately. We're planning our wedding and are keeping it small and simple. However, my fiance's parents think we should wait to get married until we don't have any debt. This is frustrating because we pay our bills on time. We pay down our debt. We don't spend meaninglessly. We also both have full-time jobs. We also live in Florida, which just became the most expensive state to live in. My fiance is in agreement that our entire lives cannot be put on hold while we pay down our debt. The reality is I may have debt for the rest of my life due to student loans. He has some debt, but fortunately no student loan debt. I feel frustrated because I feel like they don't trust us to make our own decisions. He feels frustrated because his parents' view on money gets held over him. And if he ever asks for advice or help, they never let him forget about it. My family did not view money like this at all growing up and my parents unfortunately always have had some debt too my fiance is supportive of my opinions but feels like it's a tough spot with his parents any advice we would have would be great help how can i navigate these dynamics 
All right, stressed and in love. Thank you so much for writing and for trusting us with this question. First off, congrats on getting engaged. Congrats Absolutely. on having a healthy relationship. That's what I should say instead of like celebrating the institution of marriage, <laughs> which is not for everyone. I should just say congrats on having a healthy relationship that you want to continue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Also, congrats on being a human that has debt because we know that there's a ton of debt shame out there, money shame. And yet we are constantly required to be in debt um, by the lo- lovely system of capitalism and mm-hmm. student loans. Mm-hmm. Um So, yeah, I'm glad that you offered this question to our JBU universe because I always jump at the opportunity to talk about money shame. It's a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) It it really is. Um, And I do think it like like what Sierra said of the idea of um, uh, lots of people are in debt uh, because that's sort of the way that the, the system is designed and. I don't know how old your your fiance's parents are, um, but this like sort of this transition into deeper yes. debt is also a newer phenomenon, right? Like there's right. A debt has existed for a long time and people have been in debt for longer periods of time. And like the the current debt crisis that we are experiencing is of this moment. Right. And it's very different than it was. 20, 30 years ago around like how much debt you can carry and what's access, what's available to you without taking on debt. Um, and so like the fact that your, your fiance's parents aren't understanding that like, yeah, debt is kind of a necessary evil in a lot of ways now, um, is deeply frustrating because it, it speaks to the idea of like, it's difficult to see outside of our own experiences. Whereas you're saying like, I don't know, I went to school, like what was I supposed to do? Or I don't know what your fiance's debt is, but like, I don't know, I had to take out that credit card because it was the only thing I could afford or I had to buy a car and so I had to get a car loan, right? Like all of those different things that might be at play that may be missing. Um, And the reality of there's, I don't, I don't imagine a time in my future where I'm not going to be in debt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, it's like, uh, yeah, I've got, I've got a mortgage I got to pay off. I have car loans I have to pay off, right? Like we're still paying off Peter's student loans. Like that time, that is all going to take a long time. And Peter and I are like financially fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we right. are managing our finances acceptably and in a way that's like forward thinking, managing debt in an appropriate way. Like, And so the idea, like this weird hard and fast rule around like you can't have debt feels like such a, just like we were talking about, feels like so like outside of context and nuance, right? Like, I don't know the type of debt that you have, but it might be debt that actually serves you or it might be debt that's like not going to get paid off anytime soon, right? So like it is frustrating to hear that your fiance's parents are thinking about debt in this sort of all or nothing type of way um, because that isn't all or nothing. It is very contextual. It's very nuanced and it's unavoidable. It is like always yes. there. Yeah. And I think Sam is correct. They just, they may lack the lived experience to fully understand how that is functioning in our generation, the surrounding generations. Like I encourage you and your fiance to 
one, come to this conclusion together that I don't, I totally agree with you two. I think it is absolutely reasonable to move forward with, with your life because debt is a part of your life. Do I want you to continue to make those payments? Do I want you to, you know, I don't know, liberate yourself at some point if you can, if you can, if that's in your, if that's in your, what am I trying to say? If that's in the realm of possibility, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I want you to, I want you to move forward towards that if you can. Um, and also like, I don't want this debt, this thing that, that you were kind of forced into accruing or you made, you know, Sam listed a bunch of reasons like why your partner might have debt. I also wanted to add like, or he was like financially didn't make a ton of great choices. <laughs> like that. he made mistakes, yep. you know, yep. like he, you know, I think about debt that I accrued that I like, it wasn't good debt. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like yep. reasonable debt. It was like dumb. Sierra was making stupid choices debt. <laughs> and I think that's like valid too, you know? Um, and, Anyway, this is all to say, I think you and your your partner shouldn't put your life on hold. Um, I encourage you to uh, read Meg Keen's A Practical Wedding, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a book that Sam and I request about like making your wedding exactly what you want it to be. Um, and it sounds like it would align with your goals. Um, and so once you and your partner have secured w internally that this is the choice that you want to move forward with, I say you go to your parents um, as a unified front and just say a statement like this, you know, s share as much or as little as you want um, or as much as or uh, as much as you think will get what you want to convey across. Like you don't have to say this is how much debt we have. These are our payment plans. This is how long it's going to take, it, take us to pay it off. Do you want us to get married when we're 78, you know, or whatever? <laughs> yeah. You don't have to share all of that, but you could. You could paint the you could paint as of as clear of a picture as you want with them as to why you're not going to wait to get married. Mm -hmm. um, I also, I guess, just want to say um, they might be afraid of you two joining your debt. Yeah, they might be. They, you know, they're they're functioning from their own worldview, their own experience of of debt before this current debt crisis, and that is going to be a limiter to them understanding your lived experience. Um, most importantly, of all these like s spiraling things that I've said, their opinion of how you and your partner enter this new phase of your life together is not the decider. I mm. know it's stressful. I know that it's like holding, it's being held over your head. It feels like you are going to be disappointing them or going against their wishes. But guess what? That's totally okay. It's totally okay for you to go against these parents' wishes. That's, we can't live a life not disappointing people, even our parents. I think that we, we grow up thinking that that's like the ultimate sin Mm -hmm. disappointing our parents but like that's they have their life to live and and they're just trying to guide you and your partner in the best way that they can and often that best way is incredibly flawed or as sam said subjective to their experience or lacking context or whatnot um yeah absolutely and i think you know, you can say to the, to your future in-laws or your, your fiance can say to them, like, I really appreciate that this is, uh, what you're thinking, but you, 
you don't get to decide whether or not we get married, <laughs> right? Like that's, that is a choice that you two get to make in the, the parameters of your own relationship. Your, your future in-laws can decide how they want to participate in that wedding for sure, but they don't get to decide whether or not the wedding happens. Um, and, you know, I think that, that you, as you're thinking about what a wedding looks like to you and, and what you want it to, to be like as well, it is important to also consider like, where could that money also be going to? Um, and I do think that like, it's often really hypocritical for folks who have like had weddings to be like, oh, you shouldn't, you don't need a wedding. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I get to, but like you have too much debt, so yeah. you don't get to. Um, because my wedding was an amazing time. I loved it. I'm glad that we spent the money on doing it because it was super fun. Um, and I also recognized that it was like expensive. It was something that could have been used for something else for sure. Yeah. Um, and those are just considerations that you two can take into account. But you all are the deciders of that, right? Like you all are capable of doing it. You are able to do it. Um, and you at the end of the day are the ones that get to decide sort of when you get married, what your wedding looks like. Um, and this is one of those those tricky things where it's like a moment where you have to sort of push back against the the parental the parental decision making, right? And and really yeah. establish some not necessarily hard and fast boundaries, but some some edges around like what's in your decision making and what's in their decision making. Um and whether or not you're gonna incorporate that into it. But it's hard, right? Like these moments of, of sitting with people who have loved and cared for us in whatever way that looks like and having to say like, you don't actually get to decide what's going to happen in this moment yeah. is like, is not an easy thing to do. Um, so know that like, even as you and your fiance are trying to figure out what that looks like, um, that there's no judgment around the fact that it may be more challenging than it, than it is to just say like, nope, you don't get to decide, right? Like there may be other things that are at play there. Yeah. I like, if you're watching the video on YouTube, my, I just like, I, my eyebrows furrowed more and more <laughs> throughout this answer. Cause I'm just like looking at the letter on my computer screen and thinking, man, like a 30 year old and 29 year old, like, no, 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 no. Don't wait. <laughs> don't don't put this wedding off because of debt. That is a part of life. That is something that you're going to tackle together as a couple. Um, and we, as Sam and I have said, like we know that the the stress of parental wishes is a heavy burden to bear. But it's not like you're a 20 year old being like, I'm going to marry this person that I met a week ago, which is also <laughs> fine for 20 year olds out there listening. Uh -huh. <laughs> but like, I would be like, maybe slow down a little. <laughs> uh -huh. um, yeah, no, I d just, to, just to end this response with a confident, go get married, have fun. <laughs> uh, in addition to not being <laughs> mental health practitioners, Sierra and I are also not financial planners. So take our advice yeah. as you see fit. Uh, and blow it. Yeah. <laughs> And I don't know, look at your balance sheets and make decisions yeah, for yeah. yourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes Willow so uncomfortable. Every time we get like a random amount of money, like a tax rebate or I don't know, I get a check in the mail from one of my publishers. Uh, I'm like, oh, look, you know, a hundred bucks. Let's blow it. And it makes her so uncomfortable. <laughs> Anyway, all right, my darling, stressed and in love. We hope that you're a little less stressed and even more in love. Thank you so much for writing. Absolutely. We love you. 
All right, y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because, (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash justbreakup for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash justbreakup to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash justbreakup. All right, Head & Heart workers, you know I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. (laughs) Stop wasting money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. (laughs) Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. All right. Our next letter comes from Anonymous Anonymous, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing from The Void. Hi, Sam and Sierra. In December 2020, my mother was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. 2021 was a year full of grief, anxiety, and interspersed joy, believe it or not. I started listening Mm -hmm. to your podcast in 2019, and throughout this challenging time, your voices offered comfort and humor. 
My mother passed away in March of 2022. Just keep in mind that that is two months ago. My family was with her until the very end, and it brought us all closer together. My brother and his wife, my very supportive boyfriend, and my father. Now I'm in the aftermath of the death of my mother, who I was very close with, and I have had so many loving memories of. Hmm. It's tough being back at work and normalcy, but I feel a lot of support from my friends and family. While I guess it's someone expected that we will lose parents at some point in life, I'm 24, it's probably not as commonly expected to lose a partner. My dad was probably hit the hardest, being left alone in the house that my parents built together and seeing my mom everywhere in it. This mm -hmm. past weekend, he told me he was seeing someone new. This woman is the sister of my mom's friend. It's worth saying that before my mom died, she had suggested some women to my dad who she thought would be a good partner for him after she was gone, and this woman was one of those potential partners. When he first told me, I was in shock. I am supportive for his happiness, but it's also been a month since my mother died, and while I'm still trying to understand the world without her and my relationship to my dad without her, I feel somewhat alienated from him now. I feel like I need space to process the situation while also really wanting his support during this time of grief and transition. I'm also concerned that my dad has seen someone to escape his own grieving process. When he told me about this woman, he kept on highlighting the things that the two of them have been doing together that my mom would never have liked to do with my dad, like going for drives in his sports car and having cocktails together. My mom didn't like to drink. I feel like that's something I would do after a breakup to help myself move on from my ex to think about all the things I didn't like about that person. I told my dad I'm happy and supportive of him, which I think I am, but another part of me feels hurt and confused. I don't really, I don't feel ready to see my dad with a new partner. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like I want to talk to my dad right now while I process this. Maybe it will heal in time, but I'm wondering if you have any insight on this situation, on seeing a parent with a new partner or on the grieving process. Thank you for providing the space for me to process this in words, Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you so much for writing and for trusting us with this very tender, very real letter. Um, I am so sorry for your loss, um, but just want to say that I see the beauty of your uh, relationship with your mother all over this letter, um, the thoughtfulness and care in which you wrote it, the th the thoughtfulness and care in which you described your family and the effort you're putting into understanding your father's grief, your own grief, your needs at this time. Mm. Um, I think it's a real, um, a beautiful way to honor uh, your mother. And um, I'm just grateful to be privy to it. I think um, this letter is just, uh, yeah, really moving. Um, and probably the easiest point to take is like, it's absolutely okay to n not be ready to see your dad with somebody else, mm. you know, like mm -hmm. those feelings are okay to feel. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's perfectly possible to be supportive of someone and also like deeply hurt and confused by what's going on. Right. Like those yeah. are, those are two things that are our minds and hearts and bodies are capable of holding even as they feel like they're in conflict with each other. But that's, that's one of the, the beautiful things about um, our capacity for complexity is that like we can hold all of those things, even as we try and we may be trying to 
put them in their right place or or sort of like split them apart or whatever it is. Um, so I just want to say, like, of course, you're trying to be supportive of your of your father, like you love him and you want him to be happy and you want that happiness to look like what he wants it to look like. Right. It doesn't have to look right. like what yours does. And you are, of course, you're also feeling really hurt and confused by this. Right. Like you just lost your mom uh, just a few months ago. Uh, and and that's really fresh. That's really real. I am amazed that you are back at work, that you're even attempting to get to mm. normalcy. Uh, because after my dad died, that was not even an option for me for the first three months afterwards. Um, so right. uh, I think one of the hardest parts of grief for me was that deep resistance to wanting to get back to normal. Um, that sort of That sort of wanting to sit in the reality of, my dad is gone and I don't want to go back to work. I don't want people to move on. I want the world to stop and be like, what is this huge thing has happened? How could we possibly do anything normal? And I also have been surrounded by people whose grief looks different than mine did. Right. And I'm not just talking about my family, but I'm also talking about other people who have gone through a big loss who immediately wanted to get back to something normal who immediately mm. wanted to find what the next thing was because that's how they were processing through it. Um, and it's it can be really challenging, I think, to see the ways in which grief plays out in so many different ways because it feels like it would help make more sense if everyone did it the same, right? It would help mm. to be like, yeah, we're all in this together, right? Like this pain that we're experiencing and the way that we're responding to it and the things that we want and the things that we need. Okay, so I can manage this, right? Because I can understand that it's part of an understood process or that it's mm. part of a, a thing that has clear parameters around how we're supposed to respond or the right things to do or when I can expect for this this pain to finally go away. Um, and so I, I really feel for you in this moment of, of watching you process through this grief and your own experience of it. And then also sort of seeing how your dad is responding really differently and, and being hurt in the most irrational and understandable way that it's not the same <laughs> and that it's not, yes, it's not happening in the same way. And that how deeply hurtful it is to watch other people handle grief differently than you. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like another gentle, loving reminder that your readiness for him to move on is not his readiness. Mm. And we'll also never know, like, or maybe you will know, depending on what he shares with you, like this, this might be just a distraction. This might, I don't know how deep this connection is, right? I don't know what your father's readiness is to let somebody else into his life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that this could be his new partner. This could be a, a distraction. This could be a comfort. This could be a friend. This could be a coping mechanism. We, we won't really know what this relationship is um, because we're not in your father's body experiencing this deep, deep loss. Um, I think that him doing the things with this person that your mother didn't do, you know, um, isn't an indication or, you know, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to, sure. I'm going to guess like, it's not an indication of like an inauthenticity in him. It might just be him trying to connect and say, look, I'm, 
look at these joys that this woman is sharing with me. Mm. He, he isn't trying to replace your mother. Um, and he's not trying to replicate exactly what she loved to do. He's sharing these things that he enjoys with this new person. So he's saying, look, I like driving in my car. I like having a cocktail. This person is sharing in the joys with me. Mm -hmm. Um, that could be a way that he's doing it or like, that's just sure. another perspective of, of, of the way to look at it. But again, like his, his readiness doesn't have to be your readiness, but your discomfort is absolutely yours. Like I wouldn't, it's so reasonable that you're like, you don't feel like a safe space to bring my grief right now, dad, because your grief doesn't look like mine. Mm -hmm. Your grief isn't, acting on the right trajectory or timeline that I think it should be. I use the word right there, but we all know there's no right or wrong way. Right. But just like, you know, I think that I just want to highlight some things that you set, you kind of like talked around in your letter, just saying like, I don't want to talk to him right now. I don't want to hear how he's having a good time. I don't want to hear about this new relationship. I don't want to bring my sadness here because it doesn't seem like my sadness matches yours or like there's some tension there. And that's like totally, mm -hmm. that's totally okay. Some, you just, you, you had like a very joyful and traumatic year, as you said, that brought you closer to your family, but you also might need space to heal in the way that you each independently need to heal. Um, who knows? Also, I think grief confuses roles, you know, mm. your father just lost his partner and you want to caretake for him. And he's saying, no, I've like moved on to this other form of caretaking, this joy, this distraction, whatever, this connection, whatever it is. And what does that leave for you? I think it, it it's confusing for the heart. Um, yeah, this is just all like very reasonable. It's very reasonable that you're feeling these conflicted feelings. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I also don't want you to like displace your own grief because you feel like it's not as, as connected as your dad's is right. Like losing a parent is really challenging. It's different than losing a partner for sure, but it doesn't mean that one is better or worse than the other. Right. Like it's, right. it's very different. There's no hierarchy. Right. Um, because you both have lost someone very dear to you that that played different roles in your life. Um, but those were both very meaningful roles for you. Um, and so I think that uh, when I was going through my own grief process, right, there were people that I had to pull away from because their their grief was looking different than mine. And it was really hard for me to talk about them. Um, and now that I am further away from that grief, I'm able to look back at it and say, like, Yep, I can create space in my heart for the fact that our grief processes are different um, and that your experience of this person was different than mine. And so the way that the, that it's showing up for you after they've gone is different. But I will say that in those moments, you know, in the months afterwards, like that wasn't available to me. Um, mm. And I would love if it were available to you, if you could talk to your dad about this and and share some of the the ways in which your grief is showing up and how it's different than his and recognizing that you're both different people having different experiences of it and like, you know, creating space for you both to talk about your own experiences. And it's also okay if that's not available to you, if that is not mm. in your capacity in this moment, because 
this is a big loss. This is a big, hard one. Um, and 24 is so young to lose a parent. Um, and so I want to say, like, I do think that there is a world in which you and your dad can experience your grief in different ways and love and support each other in the differences between those grief, right? Like I, I absolutely believe that that's a world that where that can happen. And I want to say that it's okay if that world isn't here and now it's okay if that world is six months down the line, it's okay. Right. Um, there's no good way to handle grief. There's no way that it, that's it. that it like manifests in a way that doesn't hurt or that we don't have regrets about it or like any of those different things. It's, it's, such a powerful and intense time. So you're not doing anything wrong by pulling away from your dad in this moment. You're not doing anything wrong by leaning even further into your dad in this moment, right? Like, yes, the decisions you make right now don't need to be the decisions that you make in the future, right? And you Mm. have the capacity to understand things differently, build up your reservoir of of resiliency to be able to sit in complexity. And it's also okay if that reservoir is gone right now. It's okay if, if complexity yes. is not a place where you can or want to be in this moment. Yeah. It's not a time for growth. It's a time for maintenance as right. your very smart therapist once told you. Yes. Um. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I, I want to just reiterate again. I see so much, I see you trying so much to do everything right right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to support my father. I I want him to be happy. I'm trying to make space for his grief. I'm trying to make space for my grief. Um, maybe just take a deep breath and say, I'm doing enough. I don't have to do anymore. I don't have to be perfect right now. I am not responsible for my father's healing. I, you're not even responsible for him being in a healthy relationship. Like, so this person's bringing him joy and comfort right now. You don't need to like that. You don't need to usher him into the next healthy relationship of his life. Mm. Um, you're doing enough right now. You are enough right now. You are not in a time of growth or perfection or even to be able to give of yourself. Right now you should be giving back to yourself. Mm. Um, yeah. And Sam and I love you. We hope that this helps. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. All right. Our last and final letter. That is two words that mean the same (laughs) thing. thing. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Our final ending last (laughs) and not first, second, but maybe last letter. (laughs) Got it. I don't know. Um, Is from Gloomy Gay, who is writing to us from... Colorado, whose pronouns are she, her. Dear Sam and Sierra, I'm a 28-year-old queer female and finding myself having queer FOMO, or I guess I should say FEMO, fear (laughs) I missed out. Uh uh (laughs) Let, Let me explain. I was raised in a very strict evangelical Christian household and was homeschooled until my junior year of high school. Homosexuality was never talked about in my home growing up, ever. When I got my first job this summer after graduating high school, I ended up working at a coffee shop where several of the employees 
identified as LGBTQ+. For the first time, I realized that there was an other way of living life than what I had been raised to believe. I really grew close to one girl in particular, let's call her Sally, and went to a gay club for the first time with her. Unfortunately, around this time, I ended up in my first relationship, which eventually became sexually abusive with a man who would often grossly fetishize lesbian relationships. Mm. Because of this experience and my upbringing, it took another few years before I even began to realize that I wasn't straight. I had never even considered that I could be anything but straight until then, thanks heteronormativity. Mm. And even after that, it took months of struggling with internalized homophobia before I realized I finally was before I finally was able to accept that I was queer. Around 23, I told my sister and my closest friends that I was bisexual. I now use the label queer because I am unsure if I'm actually attracted to men or was just raised to think I was. (laughs) 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 Woo, deeply relate to that one. Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) I was saying just kidding because I was just thinking about how I have um, such a crush on uh, some characters on television right now who are identified as men. That's all. <laughs> I, I want to know what those characters are. Uh, the the male lead in the second season of Bridgerton. Oh, yeah. He's he's very attractive. Yeah. He's also gay. gay yeah. So mm-hmm. c- congrats to that. But like the that entire second season, the whole like gist of the uh, the season was like sexy whispering, (laughs) sexy, chaotic whispering. It was be like, it was, he'd be like, I am a gentleman (laughs) and you are a lady. Yep. Do you know all the ways ladies can be seduced? (laughs) (laughs) He literally said that. That show is so wild. It's so. I literally, I'm not even that big of a fan of it, but let me tell you, it was hot. (laughs) that season that they sexual had a, they tension. had a l- amazing chemistry amazing chemistry and it was really from the great acting and writing i think of the two of them oh for anyway, sure he Absolutely. was very hot in that okay so maybe i <laughs> if i could like take a spin on that sentence myself it was like am i actually attracted to men or do i do i just love intensely whispering gay men <laughs> <laughs> well anyway Okay, Uh, but deeply relate to that sentence, dear gloomy gay. At 24, I was told the rest, excuse me. At 24, I told the rest of my immediate family. Side note, my parents split up shortly after I graduated high school. My dad stopped going to church and thankfully evolved as a person and became much more loving and accepting. My mom, however, has gone even deeper into religion and joined what I would call a, quote, mini cult in another state. As you can guess, my mom did not love having a queer kid, so she tried to ignore it, and I let her do that to keep the peace. We existed like this for a few years before finally having a falling out last summer where it was made clear that she does not agree with me being gay and thinks it is a sin. She even threw the Bible story of Sodom and Gomorrah in my face. Nothing like hearing your mom use a Bible story that she believes is about gay people being righteously murdered to make you feel loved. Mm. Anyway happy pride month everyone 
Anyway, after cutting off contact with my mom, I realized that I spent the last few years living my life very quietly in regards to my sexuality as to not ruffle any feathers. Mm -hmm. I had told myself that I just wasn't that interested in dating, but in reality, I didn't want to upset my mom or anyone else in my extended family. So here, here I am about to turn 29, really only interested in dating women slash femme people, but having no clue where to begin when I've only ever dated men and I'm a little angry. I recently watched Heartstoppers on Netflix, which I highly recommend. Sam also recommended it. Hmm? Two two episodes in a row. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was amazing to see such a sweet story of queer high school love. The easy acceptance from the friend group and families of the queer characters is something you don't see often. One scene in particular where one of the characters comes out to their mom was so sweet and loving and amazing. I absolutely loved the show, but after binging it, I found myself feeling a bit melancholy. Melancholy. I really wish this kind of show had been around when I was in high school. I wish I had seen such positive LGBTQ plus representation. Maybe I could have figured out my sexuality earlier. Maybe teenage me wouldn't have felt quite so out of place and invisible. Maybe I would have realized sooner that it wasn't so much that I was that I admired Sally for my first job, but that I actually had a crush on her. Maybe I wouldn't be 28 and nervous about trying to date women. Mm. I know 28 isn't that old, but when most people are having their firsts in their teens and early 20s, it feels a little ridiculous to be having these firsts at 28 because I wasn't allowed to be anything but straight for almost all of my life. As the queen of overthinking things, I worry that any women I meet won't be want to won't want to date someone who has no experience with women. I just feel like I missed out not being able to figure myself out sooner. I'm angry that my restrictive religious upbringing and my relationship with my mom limited my experiences and made me feel so disconnected from myself for so long. I'm disappointed that I didn't have a positive LGBTQ 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 plus representation when I was younger. And I hate that now I'm feeling left feeling like I missed out. To be honest, I still feel like I'm missing out because I'm still learning how to live my life authentically when I've spent so much of it prioritizing other people's opinions and emotions. Spoiler alert, that still goes on for the rest of your life. Yeah, I kind of feel like I'm in <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm in limbo. I'm not hiding who I am, but not quite sure how to move forward either. I don't have many queer people in my life. And while my fierce ally of a sister is always willing to listen, I wish I could talk to someone who really understands how this feels. So I guess what I'm asking is, have either of you ever felt like this, like you missed out or like you wish you could have had a better representation at a younger age? I think I'm just looking for solidarity or at the very least support from other queer people. And don't get me wrong. I'm so glad that kids nowadays are getting shows like Heartstoppers and more general acceptance and positive representation, although we obviously still have a long way to go. But I can't seem to shake this feeling of melancholy and the fear that I missed out. How do I accept the fact that I can't go back and change anything? How do I let go of the unfairness of it all? Also, if you want to give me a nudge to put myself out there in regards to dating, I could use the encouragement. Oh. Thanks for taking the time to read this. Love, Gloomy Gay. Oh, gloomy gay. I got like a little emotional at the end of your letter. Um, just, I mean, I am an emotional person in general. Sure. <laughs> but um, I just want to say like in solidarity, I 
got emotional because of the power of your story, because of the legitimacy of your anger and your frustration and your desires. And also because you called me your community in one way Mm. or another. And I too really have wrestled with my queer identity for so long. I know I'm, I'm out and proud and married to a woman and have been able to exercise my queerness in ways for for longer and in ways that you haven't accessed yet. Um, But I just, I think it's important to shout out that like um, so many people in our community have wrestled with feeling a sense of um, belonging um, feeling a sense of legitimacy in, in so many different ways. So I'm so, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm one, so honored that you turned to us and to me. I mean, it's, it still makes me emotional to be like, yes, this is who I am. And people know this, people know that this is who I am. Like, that's still such a powerful thing to me. Mm-hmm. And also I'm so grateful to answer this letter, um, so that we can call in, um, more, feelings and more um legitimacy of people's identity and their authenticity um yeah this is just powerful to me yeah absolutely i think it's um it's an honor to be considered part of your community like it's it's um you know i think that it's it's wonderful for me to think about this podcast as being a place where where queer people come to understand themselves and each other better. Um, and recognizing of course that Sierra and I have like particular points of view on queerness given our identities and our lived experiences. But, um, it is really wonderful to think that there are places where folks are finding community with us in this. Um, and recognizing the fact that like all of the things that you've talked about in terms of sort of compulsory heterosexuality, um, compulsory sexuality in general, compulsory, you know, um, or implied or understood or assumed like cisgenderness is also like part of this, um, really do fuck us up in so many Mm -hmm. ways because it does deny us the experience of being able to understand ourselves in at a young age. Um, and to be clear, to like those, ourselves. those compulsory stuff also impact people who aren't queer too, right? Like the ways in which those things are assumed or enforced are really damaging in a lot of ways. Um, and I want to just say that, like, I'm really sorry that you experienced that in such a heightened way, given the, your family of origin and like all of the different sort of religious and social expectations that were put on you. Um, And I want to say this not in a way to dismiss what you're feeling, but to invite you into this broader community to say, like, I think that there are a lot of folks who are struggling with really similar things in this moment, right? Like you're not uniquely fucked up about this sort of compulsory heterosexuality. Um, And I think it deeply impacts lots of queer people, including myself, to this day. Um, yes. Which is not to say like your, your feelings don't matter because they absolutely do. And, and your case is unique to you and is nothing like my experience in a lot of different ways. But I do want to say like, 
I want to say this in a way to say like, you're not a misfit, right? Like you're not a, mm. a fucked up toy, right? You are a person who has been experiencing this in at the same time that a lot of folks have been experiencing this too. And so you talking about this, you, you know, understanding this deeply about yourself, you bringing this into queer spaces, um, isn't going to like puncture the perfect bubble of queerness that you might be thinking that we're all operating underrating yes. under, right? Like I've been a professional queer since I was like 24 years old, queer. right? Like it is in so many ways been my job to be queer. And I'm I also queer hobbyist. <laughs> In more Ooh, ways than one, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, and it's, and it is still something that I, I am struggling with. My own identity still continues to unfold before yeah. me. And there are still like those moments where you're like, I, <laughs> Sierra laughed about this, but like, I don't know if I'm attracted to men or if I had have just been socialized to be attracted to men. I resonated with that. I am attracted to men, unfortunately, but like the, there were so many different aspects of it where I was like, yeah, there's so much about my understanding of my identity where I am literally like, yes. am I that? Or did someone just tell me I was that and I didn't know anything else? And so like, oh my God, do I like the guy from Bridgerton because he's like <laughs> domineering and I've been taught that like I'm submissive my whole life, like yeah. that I want somebody to tell me what to do because sure. and, and like, oh my God. No, no idea. Am I am I a product of my cultural conditioning or is this a real little boner that I have? <laughs> <laughs> um so that's all to say. This is absolutely hard. This fear of of missing out is is so legit and is so real and so valid. And I want to I want to invite you into the the reality of um we are all of us figuring this thing out as we go along. We may look like in so many ways oh that we've God, got it together, that, that we've got to figure it figured out. I don't. Do we know ourselves? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I know myself better than I did when I was 18 years old, for sure. And there's still stuff that is continuing to unfold in front of me. And so I say this also to other queer people who have been out for a while and who may be like very sort of also sort of solidified in communities as well to do some of the amazing introspection that gloomy gay is doing in this moment as well. Right. Like we are never a hundred percent fully aware of who we are as people. There are always yes. things to learn and unfold. And so I believe gloomy gay that the, the level of introspection, the level of self-awareness, the level of, of questioning that you're bringing into your understanding of your queerness is a beautiful thing, even as it is really fucking you up, <laughs> right? Like even as it is causing you a lot of like, consternation and a lot of concern. And I would love to see that level of, of questioning and that level of, of interrogation, like continue with a lot of the queer people that I'm around. Um, and in fact, I see it with a lot of the queer people I'm around, even if they've been out since they were 14 years old or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, I also want to just offer a couple different ways to look at a couple things you said. Um, of course, prioritizing, just affirming that this is real, that heteronormativity does fuck us up, right? Like does require a certain amount of lifelong detangling. That's what mm. we're signing up for, really. Mm -hmm. That's what these institutions of, uh, of power do to us, right? Um, and also here are a couple different perspectives for you. Um, you had a whole paragraph in your letter that was like, maybe this would happen or maybe this, you know, what if I had more representation when I was younger, maybe this would have happened. 
So when you find yourself going on those thought processes, I want you to just have like a moment of radical acceptance and mm-hmm. a radical um, honesty with yourself. Not to say I accept that this is what happened to me, but to accept what your thought process is doing. Mm. Say, I accept that I am going down a path of what ifs of maybes. And I accept that that's those are that that's what my brain is doing. I, I am I'm wondering about what could happen. I'm going to state that out loud to myself and accept that I'm that I'm wondering about the what ifs. Hmm. And the reason why I want you to do that is because what ifs and maybes are is never going to result in clarity or change, right? So, so I just want you to accept that 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 wandering that your brain does is okay. It's okay to do it, but that's but that's the end result is you're not going to have change. You're not going to have clarity just saying, well, what if this happened or maybe this happened? Because that's not the path to change, right? We can't change the past. We can't, you know, there's not going to be a lot of clarity going in circles in in the past about like what, well, maybe we could have gone down this route or whatnot. It's okay to do that. Our brains naturally do that. But just tell yourself, I'm doing this, but I know that this isn't going to change anything. Mm. And then I also want to offer you one other perspective about those what ifs and maybes. Like, sure, maybe we, maybe affirming, of course, this was wildly damaging and you have every right to be angry, number one. But- Sure, maybe with more queer representation in your youth, you would have come to your queerness early. Mm. But also, like, maybe your mom would have seen you watching some queer representation online and then, you know, said something terribly damaging and homophobic and painful. And then you you were you closeted yourself for an extra 10 years because you were more malleable at a 14 year old to to think like oh my god i am going to hell i am a sinner right like maybe if it maybe if you had this representation earlier it would have you would have buried it even deeper right but going back to my first point this is all hypothetical there's no clarity here there's no change here i'm just painting another picture that like yep. you see that your the lack of representation in the in your youth led you here and you see that as a bad path and yes it was damaging but maybe it would be even more damaging in a different reality not not saying that we don't need that representation we do but you're doing this cyclical thinking of like this path hurt me well maybe this path saved you maybe this path saved you from going to fucking conversion therapy right mm. maybe this path i don't know i'm i'm spiraling but that's also what happens when we <laughs> yeah look for the past to change you know look for the past to be something different than it wasn't again for like the 80th time i'm gonna affirm that your anger and your feelings and your resentment of this time is totally valid um just offering a different perspective um the other last uh, perspective that I wanted to offer was about, you know, dating women and your fear that maybe your lack of experience will be a turnoff. Well, guess what? Like, and this is as someone who struggled with similar feelings of like um, validity and, and fear that I would be rejected for my, for my particular brand of queerness and Mm -hmm. how it showed up or didn't show up in my life. 
if they want you to have more experience, then that person is not for you. They sound like a dick. <laughs> they sound like somebody who doesn't understand how hard it can be to come out in a heteronormative culture, especially in one that you especially in a family that raised you to feel the way you did about yourself. Like mm -hmm. if they don't have compassion for that, if they want you to instead be something totally different from who you are, then I don't want you to date them. They, they sound like a dick. And so again, just another way to, to look at this is say, I'm here. I'm, this is what I have to offer. This is who I am. This is the, the holy and broken path that brought me to myself right now. And I'm going to walk it for the rest of my life. And I'm going to be lost and confused and seeking clarity about myself for the rest of my life. Mm. But if they don't want me on this path, they are not worthy of walking it with me. That's right. This person is not for you. Mm -hmm. So... Hopefully that brings you some clarity that like you're not lacking it. Ha you have every right to feel frustrated because we do. We live in a hurtful way towards people like us, right? Community members like us. We, we, we hurt them every day by denying their existence. And also you don't deny yourself anymore. This is, a, this is who you are. This is the path that brought you to where you are. And you have a lot to offer people right now, as is. You're not behind. You're not ahead. There is no, there is no way in which you are failing in this moment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thinking about the unfairness of it all um, is really challenging, right? And that's not necessarily even something that I need you to, to let go of, right? You, you sort of ask that question of like, how do I let go of the unfairness of it all? Like, it's deeply unfair, and how you motivate yourself in that unfairness is up to you, right? But I think I think part of my own experience of my identity is also recognizing the fact that my identity has been shaped by this unfairness. And my identity is mm. beautiful and wonderful, and I love it. It is so wholly a part of my me, and I am so deeply proud of it. And it was shaped by these experiences that I had that have led me to become this type of person that I am. And so, yeah, it was deeply unfair that I had to experience so many of those different things. And I'm really grateful for that unfairness because it has shaped me into a person that I am excited to be, wow. <laughs> right? Like, wow. I don't want it to happen, right? To be clear, I'm not saying like, yeah, queer kids, you should have to face the things that I do. Absolutely not. Um, and I also recognize that like, the things that I have been through have led me to this moment that have offered me this opportunity to have so much more compassion and understanding and appreciation for what folks are going through. Um, and that I will never fully know those things uh, because I have experienced this level of feeling so much like a misfit outsider <laughs> of being like mm. something's not right here and I don't know how to put my finger on it. Um, and so like, yeah, the unfairness is stupid and it shouldn't exist, right? Like the, the, all of this homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, like all of this stuff is so stupid. Um, and it's also deeply part of us, uh, and our experiences. Uh, so I don't know what to do with all of the unfairness and I don't know what to do with the me melancholy necessarily, even of like recognizing, like I put up with a lot of shit for a lot of time because I didn't know what else to do, um, but to also practice that radical self-acceptance and that radical self-love and say like, it wasn't a good thing. I'm not necessarily thankful for it. 
and it's deeply a part of me. And so to love myself, to fully understand my own experiences is to fully embrace that complexity, is to fully say like, yep, this is what has led me to this moment. Um, and now I have the opportunity to do different things with all of those different situations and experiences that life has afforded me. Um, so put yourself out there. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. That's like the final thing. You yeah, know, like yeah. you want some encouragement, put yourself out there. Like you're not uniquely fucked up you're in this experience. And, and there are people out there who are going to deeply understand and resonate with what your experience has been and the place where you are in this moment. Um, and, and I hope that you find those people. Cause I know that they are, that they are out there for you. Absolutely. We love you so much. Happy Pride Month. This, this month and all other months of the year are yours. <laughs> Absolutely. All of them. <laughs> yeah. And more, even more in like other dimensions. I don't and know what I'm saying. Everyone needs to stop watching Heartstopper because it's really fucking people up. <laughs> <laughs> it's emotional. It's just like making people feel lots of feelings. Oh, all sorts of feelings. Well, I think, I, I, okay. One more thing. The melancholy is so real. Like, mm -hmm. Melancholy, I think, is not necessarily a bad emotion. It's an uncomfortable one. Yeah. And we think we need to put an action behind discomfort. And sometimes we just have to sit in it. Sometimes right. I feel melancholic about the past. I feel melancholic about choices that I might have made in my life or choices that were made for me that have limited or changed my path forever. And it's okay to mourn that. Yeah. It's okay to sit in that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that you're right. Like we don't have to do anything about it. Right. We can just say right. like, Oh yeah, I really do wish that was different. Or, Oh, I wish that my parents had responded in the way that, that they did on that show. Or I wish that I had totally. friends who had been able to talk to me about this. And it's really sad. It's really sad yeah. that I didn't have that. Right. Yeah. And then, yep. <laughs> That's sort of like and, the end or, of the, or, or do, or do the inner child work and say like, my inner child is sad that I was denied that acceptance and comfort. Mm -hmm. So then you have to say to your inner child, what your mother was unable to say to you was mm -hmm. incapable of accessing. Yep. You need to give yourself what your parents never gave you. Mm -hmm. Total love, total gentleness, gentleness, tenderness, comfort, celebration. Mm -hmm. I celebrate myself. I am so proud of myself for, for being who I am for, mm -hmm. for, being brave enough to love myself, to being brave enough to love myself enough to allow myself to be who I am, am authentically. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do everything that I, that I wanted my parents to do, throw a coming out party, hug myself, you know, like, like hold myself gently, buy myself a present because I'm so proud of myself. Like mm. go get myself a fucking cake, you know, like do the <laughs> things I'm trying to think of like, the things I, my mother did to celebrate me or I wanted her to do, you know, and a lot of it was just verbal affirmation of like, I'm so proud of you. Mm -hmm. So say that to yourself, Lumi Gay, the parent yourself, because your mother failed. You're right. She did fail. She did. And so now we can take it upon ourselves. I'm so proud of you. Mm -hmm. I love you. I love you exactly the way you are. Absolutely. And how, amazing and impressive it is that you came into this understanding of yourself despite the odds, right? Despite the fact that you had so many people telling you who you weren't and that who you were was not good or bad. And yet you still found yourself like, it's just amazing. It's so impressive to me that you, that in those circumstances, given what you were dealt, you still found the place to ask questions, yes. 
right? You still found the place to say like, this isn't working. This isn't fitting for me. Um, and I just right. think that that's so amazing and beautiful. Um, even as it's deeply challenging and even as it's, it's so unfortunate that that's the, the, the way that we live in this moment, but I, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm impressed with your willingness to stick with this, right. With your willingness to try. Uh, totally. and, and I, I hope that you are able to offer yourself that a level of pride as well, especially in this, yeah. in this pride month that we're currently in. I know. I was just going to say, I love this conversation. Um, and we love you gloomy gay. We hope you're a little less gloomy. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. This brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. Every show we like to shout out something that we love that we want to set you up with. And this week we are sending you home with a book called Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI by David Gran. Uh, this is a book uh, about an experience that I had no idea existed um, about um Osage uh, natives who lived in or were sort of forcibly moved into Oklahoma um, and then found out that they had all of this oil in the land that they were moved towards and so became very, very rich. Um, and of course, all sorts of like awful racism played out and their money was taken from them. Uh, and it tells the story of of um, somebody who actually started like murdering all of them uh, in order to get mm. their money um, and how that sort of helped shape the story of the FBI who was called in to investigate because it was happening on tribal land. Um, and what's great about it is that it sort of tells that story in a really interesting way by focusing on the people who were most impacted by it, um, as well as some of the investigation. Uh, but it also is about the author going back and sort of recognizing that like even the story we've been told about how the FBI has solved this case isn't actually true to the experience of the people who lived through it. Um, and so it was like a very interesting book to read because it not only offered this story that I didn't know and that I wasn't aware of, but also sort of walked through the ways in which we talk about it um, and dismantled some of it in a really meaningful way to say like, even our understanding of how the FBI came in and sort of solved these horrific murders on behalf of these native folks is not right. <laughs> and that they didn't right. actually do that well and that it actually caused a lot of harm that that may or may not have been intended. Um, so I just thought it was a really interesting book. Um, so I uh, would encourage folks to check it out. Again, it is called Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI by David Graham. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Please remember to follow and subscribe uh, and give us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode, both audio and a video recording of it, if that's of interest to you, uh, as well as a number of other perks at different levels. Uh, that's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps our mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Just Break Up is a production of Duvid Media, original music, recording, editing, producing, all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats. Make sure to check out his podcast, Finding Quantum Quest. And remember, 
in this Pride Month, whether you are out or not, whether you are celebrated by your community or your loved ones or shunned, whether you are able to act on your queerness, whether you've been in a relationship or not, whether you're in a straight presenting relationship or not, you are queer enough and we celebrate you. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>